Our scripture this morning is from Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. You can find it on page 922 in the Pew Bible. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil through what is good. Good morning, Ebenezer Church. I'm Monica Reynolds, also one of your pastors here, and I'm excited this morning to be continuing in our Giants Will Fall sermon series. Now, if you've been with us for the past two weeks, Pastor Rob has been presenting us with giants that each and every one of us face. We talked about the giant of comfort and how we often don't want to be stretched and pulled outside of our safe boundaries and what we construct around ourselves. But we've learned that God is often the one who is doing the stretching and enticing. We've talked about the giant of fear and how fear can live and fester in our lives when we either try to conceal our true selves or when we try to control every little thing. And we've heard that faith is the antidote to fear. But also, we've heard that God will never let us face our giants alone. Now this week, we're going to be discussing another giant, the giant of anger. Now when I just said that, there's some in this room that probably thought, oh, good, I hope that my husband or wife or, or sister or brother are going to pay attention. If you're doing that, that is an easy way to make someone angry. What we're going to be talking about today is how each and every one of us have an anger management issue. And anger is a giant that we all face. None of us would like to admit that, but it's true. Follow me with this scenario. So we leave church this morning, we get in our cars in the parking lot, and we start thinking about all of the exciting things we want to do with the rest of the day, like going to watch the Eagles beat the Redskins at 1 o'clock. <laughs> right? And we stop at Wawa because if you're from Philadelphia, that's what you do, and you pick up some snacks, and then you head east on Garrisonville Road towards 95. And as you pull closer 
to the ramps, you notice that all of the the on and the off ramps, all of them are backed up. And your car, it slows to a stop. And you begin contemplating how you were going to get from the center lane that you were in over to that far right lane so that you can get on 95. And just as you spot your opening, you turn on your turn signal and you begin to shift lanes. And at that same exact time, seemingly to to spite you, a car in the right-hand lane speeds up and prevents you from getting over. And you hit your brakes. How are you feeling in that moment? Angry, annoyed, frustrated, scared, perhaps. Now, maybe when you get cut off in traffic, you're able to stay calm and collect it. And and just muster a gentle, Aw, bless her heart. She must be running late. But you're a better person than I am. And I'm from Philadelphia, and similar to New Yorkers, we have an entirely different way of saying, bless her heart. (laughs) But that that is not appropriate for worship this morning. (laughs) But the truth is that we're dealing with anger in our culture and in our society and in our lives. In fact, Pew Research began including anger as a possible response beginning in 1997. And they asked people how they felt about the direction that things were going in our nation. And in 1997, 12% of respondents reported that they felt angry. 56% say that they felt frustrated. And 29% said that they were content. 20 years later, in 2017, those same questions were asked. Double the number of respondents now report feeling angry, 24%. And the percentage that said that they feel content has dropped from 29 to 17%. This is the reality and the culture that we're living in. And we all know this. And it's important to us to understand our reality. But it's more important for us to understand what the Bible has to say about human anger. The passage that we just heard read from the Apostle Paul, chapter 12, that's on page um, 922 in your pew Bible. If you just want to leave it open, um, you're welcome to do so. Paul is addressing in this section uh, what he calls marks of a true Christian. In other words, how do Christians, how do we think and speak and behave in our everyday life? What makes us different, in other words? And the reason that Paul gives us the list that he does in verses 9 through 21, excuse me, is not because he's trying to provide an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts for us. He's not trying to do that. Paul actually just understands something about God. And what he understands is that God desires for us, church, to live in community with one another. And so everything that Paul is addressing there, living with authentic love, you know, not just fake affection, caring for the needs of others, welcoming strangers, committing to live in in harmony, if at all possible, never repaying evil for evil, but only overcoming evil with good. He includes those things because he knows that when we do them well, we are building up community. We're building one another up. 
And when we neglect them, we destroy community. And when anger is left unchecked and unhinged, that is one surefire way to destroy community. Paul tells us in verses 17 through 19 that we are to hate, to detest what is evil and to cling to what is good. It's almost like we we need to do a 180 away from what is evil and cling to what is good. In other words, he's telling us, don't let anger be the boss of you, but instead be led by the grace and the goodness of God. None of us, according to the scripture, are called to repay evil with evil. We are called to feed our enemies, to bless those who persecute us, and to overcome the evil with only good. The Apostle Paul is not dancing around how he believes that we are supposed to behave as true Christians. Do we believe that this is the word of God for us, God's people? Do we believe it? And do we believe that God has given us both the freedom and the power that we need to resist, to reject, to turn from all that is evil, to hate it? while at the same time overcoming it with good. That is a hard tension to live in, and it's where we're called to be as Christians. Now, just this past week, General Jim Mattis, um, his his latest book released this past week on Wednesday. It's called Call Sign Chaos. And um, the title itself wrote me, and I like to read military leadership books. I think that we can learn a lot about how the military organizes and equips and adapts and um, functions, essentially, in this world. Now, many of you know that General Mattis served in the Marine Corps for over four decades, most recently as the Secretary of Defense. Before that, General Mattis served as the commander of CENTCOM. Before that, he served as the commander of U.S. Joint Forces Command. And before that, he served as the Supreme Allied Commander Transformation at NATO. General Mattis has a lot of experience. He has seen things from the highest level, And he has also seen how things are built from the ground up. And in his latest book, he's recounting a time um, when he was a recruiter in the post-Vietnam era. Can you imagine trying to recruit people into the service when the draft went away? He's talking about this. And he said that, quote, I recognized that we would only be as good as the raw material that we brought in. He recognized in that time when it was probably ridiculously hard to recruit that they were still only going to be as good as the raw material they brought in. And so he went out and he found the best non-commissioned officers that he had and he made them recruiters. And then he equipped and then he sent them out to find the best that they could have. And he describes in this book the Marine Corps philosophy of recruiting for attitude and training for skill. Recruiting for attitude and training for skill. What were the attitude, what was the attitude that he was looking for? He said that he charged the recruiters with finding potential recruits that displayed certain intangible character traits, such as quest for adventure and a desire to serve with the elite. And the recruiters were then tasked to find people with these intangible character traits. And then they brought them in and they were sent to boot camp. And then the drill instructors were charged with taking this raw material, taking this attitude, 
and making the recruits into Marines. Why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you because I believe that there is gospel truth in the idea of recruiting for attitude and training for skill. If you don't believe me, let's see what Jesus has to say in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat casting nets uh, with their father. Jesus called to them, and immediately these brothers left their boats, their nets, and their father and went and followed Jesus. Talk about quest for adventure and a desire to serve with the elite. There is nothing more elite or more adventurous than serving our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords when we take our marching orders seriously. Talk about recruiting for attitude and training for skill. What was Jesus looking for? A simple willingness, a trust, an obedience. They were fishermen. So what we know about that is that, that, that this was their trade. These men likely held no large status in society. They probably weren't um, educated. Jesus chose a willing spirit. Men who could just trust and obey and follow. This is the attitude Jesus is looking for in all of us. And the skills that we disciples are called to develop, that we church are called to develop together, is the list that Paul gives us right there on page 922 in Romans 12. And when we allow ourselves to be developed in those skills, we will overcome many giants in our life. But how do we apply this idea to overcoming the giant of anger? Now, what is anger anyway? Ever thought about that? What is anger? Anger is simply the natural human response to being wronged, to being hurt, to an injustice that has been committed. We all experience anger and there is nothing wrong about that. Some have been raised to believe that feeling or experiencing anger is wrong, but it's a basic human response and we all experience it. Where we often get it wrong is how we deal with, process, and place that anger. That is where people begin to get hurt and relationships uh, get hurt. What you might not know about anger is that social scientists believe that more often than not, anger is a secondary emotion. What that means is that we all experience something before we feel angry, but we don't even know because it happens so quick and subconsciously. But anger often sits on top of fear and hurt and rejection or unhealed wounds. That is what we feel first, and we don't even know it. And anger sits on top of that. For example, if when you were, when you were a small child and you were being raised, a parent or guardian or teacher or someone who was supposed to love and care for you and nurture you, if that person repeatedly made you feel like, um, like a failure, 
Like you weren't good enough either in school or some other area in life. That is a very deep wound that you have, that you're walking around with. But no one likes to walk around feeling hurt. And we have to live still. And so we develop masks and skills to cover up these wounds and rejections. And then when anyone or anything gets close to the source of that wound, anger acts like a bouncer. And it pushes back people and things from getting close to the source of our pain and our hurt. And that is what we often see. We don't see what's underneath. Now, depending depending on how you were raised, depending on your conditioning, depending on your personality um, and who you are, you likely experience anger in one of three primary ways. There's three primary ways that we all um, that, that people express and experience anger. And the first is the explosive type. Now, if someone expresses anger in this way, you know it, they know it, everyone knows it because they tell you often very loudly. They'll tell you that they're angry. They'll tell you that they're mad and they'll tell you why. And they'll tell you over and over and over again. The explosive type is not afraid to share anger. Some of you think that's the only way that anger presents itself. But that's not true. There are two other ways. There's a group of you that stuff your anger. Somewhere along the way, you have been taught and conditioned that anger is wrong. Anger can't be shown. It's not okay to be upset. And so you have learned to repress and suppress your angry feelings. And so what this group of people does is they stuff it in and they stuff it in. They don't even know that they're doing this. They're stuffing in their anger. They're stuffing it in. They're stuffing it in, stuffing it in. And then finally, there's no more room to stuff it. And they erupt. There's a group of people in this room that do that primarily with their anger. And the third type is the passive-aggressive type. Now, this is the type where when um, they're angry about something, instead of going right to you and saying, hey, I'm angry about that or explaining it, they don't tell you and they don't necessarily stuff it. Um, They kind of like leak it. So you hurt me, but I don't tell you that you hurt me, but I'm angry, so I'm going to get back at you. Normally in some uh, sarcastic way or through undercutting something, like I'm going to tell you, oh, I'll go pick that up for you. Sure I will. No, I won't. I'm going to forget. Hmm. How about that? And so we drop, this group drops the anger in different places around. Now, I tell you that just for awareness sake. None of these three ways is right or wrong or better or worse than the other. They just are. And it's important for us to understand how we express our anger because how we do and don't express it and what we do with it, that's where the danger happens. There's, there's, the scripture will, will let us know that just unchecked anger is, is foolish behavior. It destroys. It tears down. And so we need to be aware of how we are dealing with our own anger. And whether you're, you're the, the stuffer or the passive aggressor or the explosive type, I'd like to invite us all into a process of peeling back a few layers so that we can move closer to this giant because none of our giants can be defeated before we actually know what we are dealing with and we get up close and we name it and we size it up. 
So following in our pattern for this series, I'm going to give you five smooth, smooth stones, five smooth stones that I believe can help us all overcome this giant that we all face. Now, the first is that we are all called to name the emotion. You can't beat something until you name it and know that it's there. Get to know and actively acknowledge what you are feeling. Say it out loud if you're comfortable. If not, write it down. When my coworker did this, it made me angry. Like write the word. Some of you don't like the word angry. I want you to write it down. Like let yourself know when you're feeling angry. For example, hey, you know, we we were going to go out on Saturday night. You said that we were going to go out to dinner. A group of us was going to go. And then you just blew it off. You didn't call. You didn't cancel. You just blew it off. And, And you know, when you did that, it made me angry. I'm going to name it. Second, once we're able to name what's making us angry, we're invited to pick that up and look under the surface. What's living under there? We need to give that a name too. You know, if you've ever picked up stones or rocks from a lake or a river or an ocean and you flip them over, they're often kind of slimy and gooey underneath. Yeah, that's us. We got some slimy, gooey stuff happening, and we don't know, because this is invisible to the human eye. We have our masks and our skills that we have developed to cover this part of us up. And so the second stone is to flip over the first and see what's living right out of eyesight. Hey, when you said that a group of us was going to go out to dinner, and then you blew it off, you didn't call, you didn't show up, that made me angry. And the me, the reason that it made me angry was because when I was growing up, my older brother used to always promise that we were going to go do something fun. Would always promise that, yeah, this weekend we're going to do that. We're going to do that. But then we'd just blow it off and pretend like it was never even mentioned. And so when you blew off our plans, it ripped off that scab and it reminded me that I have a hard time trusting. I don't know who's ever going to keep their word and I don't know who to believe or who to trust. And so that's why it made me angry when you blew off our plans. I invite you to spend some time thinking about that. When you're able to identify those things that make you angry, I invite you into a harder process of flipping that over and asking yourself and asking God to help you to to identify what hurts or rejections or pain might be under what we just know to be is angry. Third stone, we need to invite God into this process. This place, when we're able to name what makes us angry, and then we're able to even name, hey, I think this is why this makes me angry, God needs to be invited into this process because this is where the giant of anger will begin to fall. It is very, very, very hard work to pull back some layers and to go back into places in your life where some of us don't want to go. But this is also where God wants access to so that the redeeming process can begin. When we invite God in, God will tell us truths such as God God forgives us, God loves us, God is merciful. God wants nothing but the best for each and every one of us. And God wants us to see ourselves as he sees us. He wants us redeemed and restored 
God does not want anger to run amok in our life because it destroys relationship and community. But you know who does want anger to run amok in our life? Satan. So we have to invite God into this process to begin defeating this giant. The fourth stone is that we are called to remember that God is our avenger. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 12 that we just heard read. To leave room for the wrath of God. There are some hurts in our life that are just too big. Maybe we lost someone to a drunk driver or through senseless violence. Maybe we've been cheated or wronged. Maybe we're living with PTS. Maybe there's things happening that we just can't see a way out of. And God invites us to remember that he is our avenger. Because when we don't, what we're likely to do is to put all of these big feelings that we can't, even if we can forgive, we can't forget some things. And so we store them and we put them in suitcases and we try to shove them in attics and under the bed. But they're still there weighing us down. And God says, hey, there's some things I just need you to give to me. And trust that God's justice is bigger than our own. Throughout both the Old and the New Testament, we are reminded that God's wrath is different from human emotion. It's not the same thing. I think this is an important distinction. We experience anger as an emotion, which is why scripture will tell us to not let it be the boss of us because it makes us fools, essentially. We can't deal with that. But God's wrath isn't an emotion at all. God's wrath was a finite punishment that was delivered on the cross to the enemies of sin and death. The direction of God's wrath was towards sin and death, and it was finite. And God's wrath is a finite punishment that will, at the end of times, remove all that opposes God. We're told that in Revelations, that all that opposes God will be removed now, if the idea of God's wrath is scary, and, and somehow, way, you've been conditioned to believe that God's wrath is directed towards you as a person, I invite you to write down this scripture verse. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, the Apostle Paul reminds us that human beings are not destined for wrath, but for salvation. Human beings are not destined for wrath, but for salvation because of what God in Christ accomplished on the cross. That is God's desire for us. So allow God to be our avenger. And fifth, this is our most powerful stone, in my opinion. Our fifth stone is our collective acknowledgement each and every day that God desires our allegiance to his authority over all of creation. God desires our allegiance. Wherever we see God's wrath discussed in the Bible, every, every, every single time God's wrath shows up in the Bible, it is when human beings have disregarded God's authority. We see God's wrath show up in terms of idolatry, false gods, in terms of false worship, in terms of empty worship, in terms of mistreatment of foreigners, in terms of mistreatment of the oppressed, in terms of um, how we break our end of the covenant with God. 
and when we disregard God's position as the supreme leader in our lives and we disregard the laws that God has given to us and how we are to live our lives. God wants us to acknowledge his authority. That's our fifth stone. So what does this mean for us today as we wrap up? I think it means that, you know, after, after the fall, God, God created us all in his image, out of love, for love. And then sin entered the world and it put a big fracture between humankind and God. And God first chose Israel to be the covenant group. That's how God was going to build a new covenant with. But us, we're under, we fall under the new covenant that God has made with Christ. And as such, we are the raw material. Just like the marine recruits we talked about, we church and disciples are the raw material that God intends to use, pour out his spirit over, build up, develop, prune, and make ready for the mission that God has given the church in this world. And anger is a giant and an obstacle that often prevents us from living fully into that purpose. So if we want to defeat this giant, if we want to watch it fall, then we need to look it in the mirror, as hard as that might be. We need to come close to it and give it a name. We need to ask ourselves hard questions. Why? Why do I feel this way? Where have I been hurt? We need to invite God into the process of redeeming and restoring us. We need to trust that God's justice is not man's justice and that God sees everything and there will be a day when all rights are, well, all wrongs are made right. And we need to ask ourselves, if God, if Jesus truly is our Lord and God truly is the supreme leader over everything that we do, then how does my behavior need to change? How do we need to be in relationship with one another so that we can be the church that God desires us to be? The giant of anger will fall when we come with the right attitude and are willing to let God develop and prune the skills that God so desires in our life. Will you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for loving us, for creating us, for making us in your image. God, there are so many giants that we face in our life. Sometimes we don't even know, Lord, that we're facing a giant. And so I pray, God, this morning that you help to reveal to each and every one of us how we deal with anger. I pray that you reveal to us any hurts or pains that live under the surface. And I pray, God, that you help us all to be on a journey of healing and redemption and wholeness. We trust your goodness, Lord, and we trust you to lead us and guide us in all of the ways. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, Amen.